0: we got time here on The Breakfast Show, which means that we are about to get into our Bible study. Before we get into our Bible study, Lawson's going to finish his apple and Lawson is going to <laughs> come back to us with the quiz. Uh, but we're also going to have a... We're going to look at the text message. We're going to look at what you had to say during the first half of the show. All right, so going to text messages very quickly. We have this one right here. Uh, it says, The Football Woke Community Management, in brackets, management, have lost all common sense and sold themselves like Judas for the love of money. Mm.
1: <laughs> Agree.
0: And now, New World Order, Denomic doctrine. Well done to the Presbyterian Church, a light on the hill to all other churches who kept silence. Mm. I would sign my name on that, and all true Christians should do the same. God's angels are taking notes. I think it was a very good response. I think it was a very balanced response. It was a very biblical response. Um, it wasn't vilifying or hateful in any way, it was very respectful to all people but it was also very plainly written. Mm. And I think as Christians we don't need to be shy, we don't need to be afraid of what we believe. We can stand up and say, no, this is what we believe, is what we've always believed, is what Christianity has always taught. Nothing uh-huh. has changed. Uh-huh. There's nothing strange or unusual about this. Uh, why, are you, why are you suddenly all freaking out over it? Oh, man. Like, that- oh, we can't believe that Christians believe that. Well, if you, do, uh, you, do you actually know anything about Christianity? Yeah, that's right. That was
1: like I, I read a really powerful argument uh, article that was basically saying that Australians don't know how to discuss religion anymore because we're so unfamiliar with religion. It's so true. And it, from the perspective of like looking at when the pastor from City on a Hill Church was talking to Kochi, like they just couldn't even get on the same wave and engage. Like, Koch is like, well, you know, the Bible's 2,000 years old and there's plenty of people who read it today and don't agree with your stance. So, you know, get with the times. And the guy, in a very poor way, was trying to explain why, oh, just because there are people who claim to be Christian who say that... LGBT or abortion or whatever it may be is okay. And even people who say it's like propagated by the Bible, like, yeah. which it just doesn't, no. like, that doesn't mean that the Bible isn't just because the Bible's an old document and this is like a, a belief that has spanned back a long time. Just because something's old doesn't mean it's untrue. You know, we've known that
0: gravity's existed and for a long time. This is the time. first time, time in 2000 untrue. years that people have suddenly gone, ah, oh, the Bible doesn't teach that yeah (laughs) but but that's cultural that is cultural religion that is not religion
1: but then kochi just being like oh come on guys just like get with the times you know we've we've moved past that and because you kind of then there's an argument right about um well for a long time people thought slavery was okay but now we know that slavery is not okay even though the reality is we've always known that slavery yeah, we've is we've always known, known that.
0: But And if we'd have followed what the Bible says about slavery, we would never have ended up with the problem mm. of slavery that we had in Christian countries. But the thing is like, oh, we've come into an, of the
1: modern era so all the introduced ideas in the modern era should be better than all the older ideas that we're replacing them with. Like, for example, they're like, yeah, so, you know, accept, acceptance and affirmance, affirming of the LGBT community is better than not doing that because we've moved past not doing that because now we're modern and then it you just have to say well is every modern idea that replaces an older idea valuable just because it's more modern and the answer the the example that you can always point to is say hey have you heard about eugenics before you know, yep. that yep. was a very yep. modern idea. Very
0: modern idea. There's a really good argument And how it? long really did it idea. last?
1: And how, you know, do, do, would you like to practice eugenics? Well, there are a lot of people still practicing eugenics around the world today. But yeah, it's just, it's, oh, it's just the worst.
0: It is. Mm. I mean, eugenics has been around. I mean, it was a modern idea. It was a, it, yeah. It's just had different forms down through time. That's right.
1: But it's like, oh, we're going to create a super race by, like, killing. And killing lots of children and selective breeding and, and all of those different things. And, yeah, they thought that was a fantastic idea. They thought that would, you know, now we're on the complete other end of the spectrum from that, a very modern idea. Yes. And so, again, I, I think it's just going to be a matter of time. But either, pe- either it's just going to just run deep or people are going to realize that it, what we're doing is wrong. I hope people are realising what we're doing is wrong.
0: All right, true Christianity was meant to reach the hearts of people. It was never meant to become a state church. There would never have been the Roman Catholic Church and all the suffering Mm. that that it caused in the name of God. God allowed the Muslim religion to expand to hold back the Catholic Church that true Christianity could survive and flourish. The only time that the Roman Church was Christian was in the first few centuries before the Bishop of Rome became the Pope. Mm. Uh, uh, Yep, just... Calling a spade a spade right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you study when you study history. Hey, have we had the next qu- question for our quiz yet? Oh, no, we haven't. We kind of skipped over yeah. there, didn't we? Let's get back to it.
1: The legs of the image of Daniel 2 were made of what? 0491 064 For a lot of Bible students and for a lot of people who maybe, like, th- these books, God cares, you know, volumes if about don't Daniel and know, Revelation. you
0: don't know the answer to this one, you need these books. You need to look it up, uh-huh. and you need to look up every quiz question we have and put your name in because these books will tell you about Daniel. That's right. 064 zero
1: four nine one zero six four six six nine. The legs of the image in Daniel two were made of what? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine.
0: All right, let's get into our Bible study, eh? Yeah, let's go to Genesis chapter two and verse seven. Genesis 2 and verse 7. We're going to talk about the creation of man. We're going to be talking about what makes up a human being. Genesis. Yes. Yes, we're going to be talking about that.
1: Genesis. Yeah, I I don't know. It just just came to my head, the incorrect uh, pronunciation of this word. It's
0: like eisegesis. Eisegesis. All right, right, let's have a read. Genesis 2
1: verse 7. Go for it. The Bible says, then the Lord... God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person.
0: Ah, let me read it to you from what, the KJV. What's wrong with that? For the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay. This is much better. It's much better right there because it removes any confusion as to what the soul is. Okay, yeah. There is a lot of confusion about what the soul is in today's world. and Mm -hmm. A lot of people assume that the soul is a ghost Mm. or a spirit, Mm -hmm. something that lives somewhere inside us and something that floats away the moment that we die. Yeah. However, the Bible does not teach that. In contrast, the Bible says that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. To have a living soul, therefore, you have to have two things. First, you've got to have a body made out of the dust of the ground. We are all made out of dirt. I think that's very, very clear because when you die, you turn back into dirt. Mm. Lawson, Mm. you are a dirt bag. Yep. I'm proud of it too. In fact, we're made out of dirt and water. The majority of us is water, so you're actually just mud. Mm-hmm. Yep, just mud. Let's go. <laughs> I am the
1: I am the most pale mud in existence.
0: Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is so. Anyway, so and of course, along with the rest of us, we are just dirt bags. We are mud. Mm-hmm. That's all we are. Mm-hmm. And so God forms man out of the dust of the ground, the Bible says He 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 forms a body, mm-hmm. and then He breathes into that man the breath of life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you have a living soul. Yes. So this is a very simple equation. You can simply do it like this: a body plus a breath equals a living soul. Mm-hmm. All right. What if you remove that, one, one of those one of those pieces of the equation. What if you remove the breath? What do you have? A dirt bag? Well, we kind of already are a dirt bag, yes. you yeah. got a dead soul. You go from uh-huh. a living soul uh-huh. to a dead soul, uh-huh. right? If you remove the breath of life. Yes, yeah. you remove the breath of life and... There's nothing here. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where the Bible talks about a soul that floats away at the time of death. Oh, 100% no. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And this is one of those myths that has become so ingrained into Christianity. Of course, the ancient Greeks believed this, and Christianity grew grew out of a world that was Greek. Greek Greek was the English of the ancient world. It was Mm. the culture that dominated the world. Everybody in the world worshipped Greek gods. Mm-hmm in different forms and different names, but they worshiped Greek gods, spoke the Greek language mm. and believed Greek religion and philosophy. That's right.
1: That period of time in which the Romans ruled the world we call the Greco Roman era. Yes. Yes <laughs> not just the Roman era, the Greco Roman era.
0: Because the Romans didn't have it. There was no no Roman gods. Mm. City of Rome, the nation of Rome, Empire of Rome, didn't have their own gods. They all had Greek gods. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Contact us on 0491 064 669. Okay, so, you know... Greece and, and and Hellenistic ideas are just completely dominating the world. Totally, my mum is nominally
1: Catholic, and uh, I remember asking her as a as a wee child, as you know, uh, uh, maybe a five six year old, because I went to Catholic school growing up, and I think they had said something about those ideas, and I asked my mum, mum where did I come from before I was born? And she's like, well, <laughs> I think my mom told me, well, you looked down from heaven and you picked me and now you're here. And I think she said that to me because, again, my mom is nominally Catholic. She's not a practicing Catholic. And I think she said that from the perspective to to encourage me that I picked her and that I'm actually, you know, <laughs> to to win some uh, goodwill with me as a, as a small child.
0: Yeah, kind of... Not like theologically correct, you're not theologically correct, but but uh, probably also trying to avoid the question. Oh, of where I came, <laughs> where, where the baby's just, just really trying to avoid the question.
1: Well, well, you looked down from heaven and you picked, picked me because I'm she so great. She gone with the stork. Nah, okay, yeah, <laughs> she could have. It's more fun, but I definitely had questions. I'm like, wait, so I was. I was in heaven and I picked you. How do I not remember that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, note to parents. Don't lie to your kids. Just be upfront with them and tell them the truth and explain things how they are. It works out much better. Yeah, that's right. Uh, There was an era of parents who used to restrict their children from a lot of information, and children are curious, and if they ask curious questions, just give them a straight answer. Kids won't freak out over it. Mm. It's not the end of the world. I
1: have a personal friend. Mm-hmm. Who does not come from a Christian background comes from a pretty non-religious, atheistic background, mm-hmm. uh, but had a sincere belief in Santa until they were fourteen years old.
0: Now I've just got to confirm this with producer Shell, but I think she had a sincere belief in Santa until the age of what? Twelve? No, eight. <laughs> <laughs> She's, She's shaking, shaking her head vigorously. It was it was a fair it was a fair age, and what happened was.
1: Uh, probably like 10 maybe
0: even 11 but it wasn't quite as extreme as 12 and certainly not as extreme as 14 14 yeah 14's pretty full-on uh but she was she was convinced or nearly convinced by all of her school friends that santa wasn't real Uh and uh her dad was kind of you know a bit gutted like oh my daughter's found out that santa's not real this is really sad because christmas is much bigger thing in america than it Mm -hmm. is in australia it's where you see all these millions of Christmas movies that come out all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh and, and, and so, you know, Christmas Eve he gets up on the roof with his ladder and he makes sleigh marks and he and he gets a deer hoof and he makes deer footprints all over the roof <laughs> and he wanders around wanders around in, in in his in his gum boots on the roof and makes footprints everywhere. Yeah, you know, there's like a foot of snow at least on the roof, because it's Christmas time. And reconvinced her for another year. Mm-hmm. Took her up there the next morning. Look, Santa's been here. Oh, that is wild. But, <laughs> but not the greatest parenting moment. <laughs> so, for, for my friend,
1: she's sitting there in class and they're having, she's 14, year eight, they're having a, a mock debate. Like, they're coming up with... They're they're trying to understand debating, you know, and they're doing a class on what is debating. And they're like, let's have a mock debate about whether Santa's real or not. And it was like, oh, okay, we gathered the evidence just explaining how debating works. And uh, one of the kids speaks up and says, wow, imagine if someone in our class actually believed that Santa was real. And she's sitting there like,
0: wait, what? (laughs) Santa's not real?
1: She's like so embarrassed. She didn't say anything because... Which is great, you know. She could have embarrassed herself thoroughly, but she's sitting there. She's like, and all the kids are like laughing. Yeah, imagine if someone thought Santa was real. She's like, huh? and then she went home and went to her parents and was like, Santa's not real. And they were like, I had to explain it to her. But it's, uh, it's just the funniest thing ever.
0: Okay, but here's the th- here's the important point. And this is the parenting point, and we got sidetracked here. But we're gonna we've yeah. got a really important. Now, this is point. a good point. Is that if you lie to your children,
1: mm.
0: and they later find out that you lied to them mm-hmm. that's devastating for your children yeah because then everything that you've ever told your children suddenly is suspect and they don't know what to believe anymore and it's very destabilizing and it's very um how should i put it it's very it makes children very very insecure mm. when they find that out i mean producer shell this was you went through an experience something like this oh I was- heartbroken when I found out the following year because my dad had gone through like this epic thing to like instill the lie into me (laughs) and from a worldly standpoint it was a very cool parenting moment you know but from from me my dad was my hero and like the person who I trusted the most in the whole world and to find out that he deceived me so terribly it really rocked my relationship with him for a while. Wow. And here's the thing. I grew up in a very different home where my parents were like, yeah, Christmas is great and Santa is, you know, in the same category as Bugs Bunny. Yeah, same. And, <laughs> you know, Donald Duck and everything else. And so, you know, it didn't stop us as kids from enjoying Donald Duck, Bugs Bunny or Santa. <laughs> Yeah. But we were never deceived as to the fact that this person was real. <laughs> and then when my parents came to talk about Jesus, that was a different category. Wow. Mm. Like, no, this is actual reality. Mm. This is fantasy. And it's important that parents differentiate between fantasy and reality for their children so that they Do feel secure. They don't become deceived. Don't ever lie to your children. It's a terrible, terrible thing because they will find out at some particular point. And then suddenly everything you've ever said to them throughout their entire Mm. life is now suspect. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And also you've taught them how to lie, and so they think now it's okay for them to lie to you. Yes. Mm. Yes, you model lying to your children, and then you get upset when they lie to you. Mm. But relating it back to our Bible study You're thinking about
1: the myth of the immortal soul that has been perpetuated as something that the Bible expressly teaches. I feel as though something like the, the immortal soul is something that is so untestable, so supernatural and so subjective, even more so than our relationship with God, the truth of the Bible, all those kinds of things, like, the immortal soul, and, like, it is, there is such a mythos around it in so many different aspects, like, whether it's, as you said, Greek soul immortality, whether it's... Hindu soul immortality, all these different... And then all of the different expressions of that, whether it's demons and all the movies out there about, like, you know, I don't know, paranormal activity and The Conjuring, like all the horror movies about souls of people and haunted houses. These myths are so perpetuated, but then so difficult to verify and, by most people believe, to be so untrue that they just lump the Bible into the category of... Oh it was just like a book full of myths yeah um that that has no relevance just as much as I you know just as much as all these other books because it teaches this thing that is irrelevant and and weird
0: and you've got this you know you've got this contrast when we talked about it last week about how that you know I was like ninety five ninety three to ninety five percent of the world believe what Satan said when he says you won't die mm you know genesis Genesis two verse sixteen you will die mm. Genesis three verse four Satan you will not die mm That's the the contrast. Genesis 2, verse 16, God, you will die. Mm. Genesis 3, verse 4, Satan, you will not die. Mm -hmm. Which one are you going to believe? It's very, very simple. You have a choice to make right now as to which one of these are you going to believe. Are you going to take God's side on this or are you going to take Satan's side on this? Because if you're believing in the immortality of the soul, you're not dying. Mm -hmm. You're continuing to live. Mm -hmm. And that's not what God is saying. God is saying, "No, you will die." Mm. It's really that simple. Okay, so if we come back to our passage here under consideration, uh, Genesis chapter two and verse seven. Let's let's uh, go over to verse nineteen as well. Genesis two, verse nineteen. The Bible says in Genesis two nineteen.
1: So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And the man chose a name for each one.
0: Okay, so what's the difference here between uh, what what's actually taking place between humans and critters? Mm. Well, it seems as though they're both formed from the ground. So. The, the, the difference that is stated there is that you know God breathes into the, into man's nostrils the breath of life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very personal kind of experience, mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know if you're going to do mouth to mouth resuscitation on someone, which is the nearest we would ever get to something like that, which is nowhere near it, it's a pretty personal experience. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to get back into our Bible study before mm-hmm. we do. Lawson's going to bring you another question for the quiz. I am, and that next question, the very last question.
1: What person, seventh in Adam's line, did Jude quote? 491 64 is the number to call if you know the answer. If you do, you'll go into the quiz, into the draw to win God Cares, a message of Daniel and the message of Revelation. These are verse-by-verse verse Bible studies, commentaries on what these two amazing prophetic books are actually saying to us. But again, that question was... What person, seventh in Adam's line, did Jude quote?
0: All right, let's head over to the book of Ecclesiastes. Not Ezekiel. Ecclesiastes. 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 You want to take a guess where we're going? 12? No. 1? No. 10? No. I don't know. 3. 3, okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Let's read about it right here. Okay, Ecclesiastes
1: chapter 3, 19 and 20, where the Bible says, For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place they came from, dust, and they will return to dust.
0: Yeah, Solomon's a bit down when he writes Ecclesiastes. That's right. It's kind of of end-of-life crisis type vibes. Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But anyway, I'll read that from the KJV, that which befalls the sons of man befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them. As the one dies, so the other dies. They all have one breath, that a man has no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all return to the dust again. And This is what the Bible says. The Bible says we die in the same way that animals Mm. die. We have the same breath. When that breath is gone, that gift from God is gone, the gift of, the gift of life, God takes it away, mm-hmm. we die. Mm-hmm. We can read about it in Psalms 104. Let's go to Psalms 104. Mm-hmm. Psalms 104, we're going to read verse 29 and 30. Times 104, verse 29 and 30. Lawson, what have you got for us there in your analysis? The Bible says, verse 29 and 30, But if you turn
1: away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth.
0: Okay, so here you've got the equation that you have in Genesis chapter 2, mm-hmm. kind of repeated, but it's also reversed as well. Mm-hmm. So it's repeated in reverse. So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, God formed man out of the dust of the ground, so he's Mm. made a body. Out of the breath of life, man becomes a living soul. Mm. Then here you've got the reverse of that where the Bible says uh, in uh, verse 29, uh, you take away their breath, they die, Mm. and return to dust. So he forms man out of the dust of the ground, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, man becomes a living soul. Then in Psalms he takes away their breath and they return back to dust. Mm. It's a very simple equation. But Psalms goes one step further because Psalms, says, Psalms then goes on and says, oh, and then you send forth your breath and they are recreated again. In other words, mm. they are re- resurrected again. Wow. So you've got death. Sorry, you've got, you've got life in Genesis 2. Then you've got death in Psalms 1 of for verse 29, and then you've got resurrection in verse 30. Mm. So you've got the equation, there's exactly the same equation written down three times in three different ways, one in relationship to the creation of humanity, one in relationship to the death of humanity, another in the relationship to the resurrection of humanity, and it is always the same equation. Mm. A body plus the breath equals Life, It's that simple. Yeah,
1: and when we have that understanding from the beginning, when we interpret the Bible using the Bible and we, yes. we create a yes. weight of evidence argument saying, okay, this is what the Bible says life is, we can come to passages like when Jesus says, Lord, receive my spirit, and we know exactly what he's talking about. Yes. He's going to die. The breath of life is
0: going to leave That's him. right. Particularly if we look at what the word spirit means. hmm Okay, so we ask ourselves, and sometimes I ask people in a Bible study, "Whereabouts in the body do you think the spirit lives? Mm. Like, oh, in the brain, in the heart, in the centre of my being. Mm. You know, they all have these airy-fairy ideas about some little ghost that is floating around inside of them, whereas the Bible tells you exactly where it lives. So if I go over to Job, mm. uh, let me see here, Job 27 and verse 3, it says this, all the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nose. Mm. The word spirit here comes from the Greek word pneuma or the Hebrew word ruach and both of them simply mean breath. Mm-hmm. And so when God sends his spirit, this is the human spirit, of course, not the Holy Spirit or ministering spirits, but the human spirit, when he sends his spirit, that's breath. He sends the breath of life mm-hmm. and life comes. He removes the breath of life and a person dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. everyone who ever dies, all die, everyone dies from the same thing. You know that, right? Suffocation is a... Lack of breath. Lack of breath, yeah. Every person dies from lack of breath.
1: Yeah, that's right. But yeah, we can actually read those verses because someone someone would say, Oh, but what about when it says that God received Jesus' spirit? And it's like, well, we know exactly what that means. That's right. He's freed the rest of the Bible and you can interpret that verse correctly. He stopped breathing. God took back the breath of life. That's right. And Jesus was dead. And you know what? Like, you know what would convince me otherwise? I'm like, show me the part of the Bible where Jesus, when the Bible says that his spirit was received by God, Jesus was in heaven while he
0: died. Well, there are some who would say that he was in hell. Oh, yeah. Preaching to the spirits in prison. Oh, correct. That's a pretty wild one. Uh It's like, wait a minute. Why would Jesus go to hell? Mm -hmm. These people, first of all, why would Jesus be there? Secondly... Uh, these people are already lost, mm-hmm. what use is it going to be to preach? To, why would you preach to people who are already lost? Mm-hmm. And then from that one verse, and people build entire an systems entire doctrine. Of theology. And there's nowhere in that passage that says that when Jesus died, he went anywhere other than the tomb. Yeah, There's right. nowhere in the Bible that it says that Jesus went anywhere other than the tomb. Yeah. In fact, if you read the previous verse to that, it tells you exactly what it's all about. In fact, why don't we go over there very quickly and let's read it. <laughs> it will tell you exactly how he preached him, because understanding how he preached tells, uh, helps us to understand when he preached. And the Bible tells you both how and when this particular event took place. And we need to ask ourselves the question, does the Bible say that this happened when... He died on the cross. Mm. Okay, this is in Peter. Yeah, right. where is, where is, is it, in it? Peter is it Second Peter chapter two. It's somewhere. It's second, it's it's in Peter. Uh huh. Let me just find it. It's in one of the Peters. Yes. <laughs> Why can't I find it? It Should be staring me in the face right now. Right, here we are. Uh, first Peter chapter three. Oh, okay. Verse nineteen and twenty well first i'm just i'm just gonna jump in here say, so it first begins by saying how it happens uh-huh. then it says when it happens uh-huh. the how and, the, and and neither the how nor the when have anything to do with the crucifixion in this passage mm-hmm. okay verse 19 what have you got
1: it says, So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from the drowning in that terrible flood.
0: Okay, let's let's, let's work our way through this passage. Uh-huh. Okay, let, let me start in verse 19. Uh, or actually verse 18. The Bible says, For Christ has once suffered for us, the just for the unjust, uh, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You got that last line mm-hmm. there? So made made alive by yep. the Spirit. Raised to life in the Spirit. Yes. Yep. So we're talking about the Spirit, right? Mm. The Holy Spirit that mm. raised Jesus from the dead. Then it goes on in the last part here and it says, uh, in verse 19, it says, By which? By what? By the Spirit. He went and preached to the spirits in prison. Okay? Mm. When did you do that? When sometimes the disobedient were when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. He did it in the days of Noah, not when he was crucified. He did it by the Holy Spirit in the days of Noah, when the ark was being prepared, and then my Bible goes on to say, wherein eight souls were saved. the mm. really important point there. Eight souls were saved, not eight ghosts, eight people. Mm. We're going to talk more about it as we work our way through this week. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Well, we've come time for question of the day. Before we get to it, Lawson's going to bring to us... Some answers for the quiz questions and then we'll be into our question for the day. That's
1: right. In what situations did Paul say he had learned to show content or to be content? Whatever circumstance. In all circumstances, that's what he said. Uh, Who said, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears? That was Stephen. It was the witch of Endor that was consulted by King Saul. Those legs on the Daniel 2 statue were made of iron. And finally, it was Enoch, the seventh person in Adam's line that Jude quoted. But right now, it is time for...
0: Question of the
1: day. All right, Lala. Question of the day today comes from the book of Genesis. It says, and from Sid asking the question, he says, What does God mean in Genesis? 6, 5 to 8, when he is talking about repented and, and repentant. Is God making repenting about having made us, or did he feel we were a mistake?
0: Okay, so uh, the first thing that comes to mind right here is that we understand repentance through our own eyes. And as human beings, when we repent, we are repenting because we have sinned. Mm-hmm. Repentance does not mean necessarily that you have sinned. The word repentance simply means sorry or grieved. And so God is not repenting in this particular case in the way that a human being would repent because a human being would be would be repenting from having Sinned, But does that mean that God is not sorry or that God is not grieved? No, the answer is that God is very sorry and God is very grieved. Uh, here in Genesis 6 and verse 6, the Bible says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the birds of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there's a fairly strong language right there. And uh, the implication here is that God, you know, a lot of people read that and like, well, God obviously made a mistake. No, God did not make a mistake in making human beings. God made human beings that had the power of choice and human beings made the mistake. mm God made perfect human beings because without the power of choice they would have been imperfect and we've been talking about this a lot lately that love cannot exist without the power of choice. Love can only exist when it is experienced and expressed and it can only be experienced and expressed when you have the power of choice. And so God did not make sin, God did not make evil, God made the possibility of sin and evil because God made the power of choice so that love could exist. Okay, so then what happens is that man comes along, exercises that power of choice, and, you know, man's original destiny was to live in a perfect world. Now he's living in an imperfect world. Now, when God looks down, he sees that humanity has become very, very sinful, very, very corrupt, Mm. very, very much in pain, and he is grieved by that. If he wasn't Mm. grieved by that, then uh, I would be very worried about him, and he decides, okay, we need to have a fresh start here. Or you know the knowledge of God, you know humanity is going to disappear altogether. Another great example that you've got of this is, uh, and of course in Psalms one ten verse four, the Bible says the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Uh, you are, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so when it comes to you know when God swears an oath or something like that, when it's something to a decision that God makes, he doesn't repent from it. Mm. But when it involves sins that we commit, when we use our freedom of choice, then God can feel grieved that we exercised our choice in a poor way. Mm. For instance, uh, 1 Samuel chapter five, 15, verse 10 to 11, uh, where he tells Samuel, it repents me that I've set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So notice when God is grieved by Saul's actions, it is because of Saul's choices, Mm. and what Saul has done, that God is grieved by that. Okay, so God's repentance is very different from our repentance. God's grief is different from our grief. This is God feeling sad and experiencing deep sadness, anguish even, that we have chosen the courses that we have chosen that are then causing him to act in a way that he does not want to act. Mm. Uh, If that did not bring him grief, then once again we would be Very, very concerned by that. Right now we've got a text message that's comes through here from Suzanne. She says, regarding the myth of Santa, I told my children when they were little that dad and I got the presents for them. Yeah, if you're spending that money, you may as well get some mileage out of it. So good. Let your kids know that you love them. Um, They were always telling other kids in their early grade classes that (laughs) Santa wasn't real. I'm sure (laughs) there were some unhappy parents around because their child was now enlightened. Mm. Well done, Suzanne. Great parent. Which, of course, brings us to the end of the te- of the breakfast show. Make sure you stay tuned for Tassie Encounters. But as you go through this day, don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
1: God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, guide Surely fold you. God be
0: with you till we meet again. Until we meet, meet again at Jesus' feet
1: until we meet again. Jesus. God be with you till we meet again.
0: Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-80-Faith FM.